All right, Leviticus chapter 25, and I trust that we will finish up this uh, book tonight. And <clears throat> we've been we've been sort of looking at the the uh, as we look at this. This is on page 13 of your handout. If you have one, uh, like the church epistles, we learn how to walk, and we learn how how to walk with God, and how to worship the Lord, and and uh, and so forth. All right, and we'll see in each of these books, the first five in particular. Uh, deals with uh, uh, the next segment or a particular aspect of our Christian experience. And so here in these, we, what we've been talking about, that we said that the ground of our fellowship was based upon sacrifice, all right? And uh, we went through those, the sweet savor offerings and the non-sweet savor offerings and so forth. And the Lord Jesus being a, a, being the, the very substance of those things and they being the shadows of who he was and what he did. And it's amazing how, as Brother Roger said, the footprint but how he's pictured there. And last week we even talked about the Passover Seder when we come to that, uh, how that operates and so forth. And we were talking about, did any of y'all look up matzahs? All right. Gosh, I, I wish I had a way of giving you extra credit, okay? But matzah, who knows what a matzah is? Brother? It is. It's the unleavened bread. Yes, ma'am. Oh, you got some gluten-free ones. Well, good on you, all right? And uh, and so, uh, yeah, but I think the gluten-free ones, if, I, if I'm if i thinking correctly, they're not kosher. And so they may not be kosher, and so that may that wouldn't pass, sister. So uh, kosher means that within the Jewish uh, orthodoxy, kosher has to do with the fact that it meets all the criteria to be acceptable, whether it be uh, whether it be according to a dietary law or it be some manner of worship or some ceremony that they were going to that they had to adhere to, and that's sort of a uh, a modern day thing. You don't hear that word kosher because I don't know about all the choices that were out there. They just made unleavened bread, and they weren't worried about gluten. Okay. Yes. Yes, kosher food, that's exactly right. And, uh, I mean, even down, uh, I, I had told them the story of when I, I found out that I, a portion of my DNA, about, uh, I think it's 8 or 9%, I'm Ashkenazi Jewish. Uh, I'm just a second generation that came over and uh, from the real country, you know. And uh, so, anyway, uh, I happened to tell that to one of the doctors at Kingwood, and uh and his name is Lipinski and I said he is a he is in the Israeli Air Force and he is a flight surgeon, which means he's he knows how to fly, he's a pilot, and yet he looks after all their pilots, takes care of all their medical needs, on top of that being a surgeon. And that's the title given to him. And so he migrates, he works here for a while in the States, and he goes back to Israel and works. Anyway, his last name is Lipinski. And he wears a yarmulke to work when, when he's at the hospital. He has the yarmulke on the whole nine yards. And uh, so I, I mentioned something to him about it being, he said, welcome to the family. And then, you know, and then he brought me rather back. He said, ah, come, I have some chocolate I want to share with you. And he goes, it's kosher. So he's a practicing Jew, you know. And so he, he uh, you know, he wanted me to know before I took it that it was okay to eat it because it was kosher. 
And so, uh, so all that meant something. All, that's why all the feasts and everything, uh, when we look at this, when you think about Passover unleavened bread, we were talking, we talked last week about those that hide Easter eggs. You go through the, you know, and, uh, well, in the Jewish tradition, they, those are the days of unleavened bread. And so they play a game. They hide leaven. They hide little balls of leaven in their homes and their children go and get the leaven out. They, they search the house. Uh, you know, there's some similarities and, and the matzah that I started with, if you look at it before, before you break it up or whatever, it's pierced and it has stripes on it where it's been baked and it sort of looks like, it sort of is a reminder. And what is the unleavened bread a picture of? What is it a picture of for us? Well, yes, I know it's used in Passover, but what portion of Passover does it represent? The body. The unleavened bread, why is there no leaven in it? Without sin. All right, and was he pierced? And the scripture says in the book of Isaiah, and by his stripes we are healed. And so a Passover Seder, if you ever have that done, if we ever have one, man, they're very interesting and they all point to the Lord Jesus. All the portions of it, all the things that are done, all have to do with that. And so... Uh, I mean, even they, they even during the Seder, they, one, they send one of their children and they go to the door and they open the door to their homes and they look outside. You know who they're looking for? They're looking for John the Baptist or they're looking for Elijah to come. All right? In that spirit. And so that's all a part of it. And so they handle all these things about the Lord, yet they don't see him in that. And yet he is, he is in this, I mean, you know, history is his story. All right, and uh, and so he is here in these passages. That's why uh, you know, Brother Roloff. How many of y'all know who Brother Roloff is? Some of the old timers know who Brother Roloff had some uh, homes down in Corpus Christi and so forth. And brother, somebody asked Brother Roloff about going to the about going to Israel and so forth. And he said, "Why would I want to spend money to see where Jesus was when I can open my Bible and find out where Jesus is?" Now you'll get that in a minute. All right. But there's nothing wrong with going to the to uh, going uh, to visit in Jerusalem and so forth to go to Israel, and uh, that was just his little clever way of putting things. And so, but all of these on these feasts and so forth, we looked at all that last time. These feast days they occur every year, and they are all pictures of some aspect of the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary that was done for us. And, and some of these benefits of ours, all right? And so we, now we, we want to look at this part four, the regulations for Canaan. And so I asked you to go to uh, chapter 25, and it's true. And so, so we have the ground of our, the ground of our fellowship is, it, it bound in, it, it's, it's wrapped up in sacrifice. It's the means. It's how God was able to fellowship with the nation of Israel was through the means of sacrifice. Remember, Moses gets the law on on Mount Sinai. He comes back down. He's got the he's got the tablets. He's got the the blood, and he's got the hyssop, and he sprinkles that. And they said, Moses, everything that that God has said, we will do and be obedient. All right, and they they seal the contract in that blood sacrifice. 
And so now they're enjoined together, God and man, and then right away Moses goes back up on uh, Mount Sinai and the Lord gives him the blueprint instructions, the, 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 uh, everything that's necessary in every detail about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was going to be that bridge between a holy God and sinful men so that when they failed, when they couldn't do everything that God had said and they were disobedient, they could bring that sacrifice. A bullock, uh, a, a sheep if they were middle class, turtle doves, or if it was going to be a, a meat offering, which wasn't actually meat like we think of, but it was that was a meal offering. It was fine flour and so forth, again, with no leaven in it and the like. And so all these things were done so that men could stay, that God could stay in the midst of them. That's why there was no place to sit down in that in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, because the priest's work was never done. The fire never went out. Why? Because there was always somebody bringing an offering. There was always, you know, that many people, there was still going to, there was still sin in the land. And the way that God dealt with that for a man to be right with God is he had to bring that lamb, put his hand on there as symbolically of transferring that sin to that innocent and they slit the throat of that of that lamb or bullock, and then that was sacrificed on the altar, and the punishment of God, the wrath of God, was held off for another year. But their debts had not been paid, not until Jesus Christ came. That's why John said, Behold the Lamb of God, in John one twenty nine. Behold the Lamb of God, which what? Which taketh away. Not just cover them up, that's what the Day of Atonement is, Yom Kippur, Day of Covering. Not just that, not just covering them up, like, Sweeping it under the rug, so to speak. Okay? That's why when those Old Testament saints died, they went to Abraham's bosom. They didn't go to heaven. They couldn't go. Why? Because the debt hadn't been paid. Y'all with me? That's why, that's why the scripture says in the book of Ephesians, he led captivity captive. They could come out. That's why, that's why the, in the third heaven, that's where paradise is now, according to 2 Corinthians 12. Why? Because that debt has been paid. And, uh, and so, uh, they weren't in a, they're not, if you will, in that sense of being in the heart of the earth, they're not there anymore. Why? That debt was paid. Those Old Testament saints, it's, it's where Hebrews talks about, I think it talks about the, the spirits of just men made perfect. How is that done? They were made perfect through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That lamb that was to come, that day that Abraham saw, if you will, in that. When God provided himself a lamb, right? Going up on that one side, I mean, here, here's Abraham and Isaac going up over here and got the wood, and over here comes trotting up as a ram, except Abraham couldn't see it just yet, all right? But he was on his way, a ram caught in the thicket. And, uh, and so all these things, and again, all these are pictures and types uh, of our blessed Savior and what he did for us, what he accomplished there on the cross. I mean, there's so many aspects to this. And so the, the, now the basis of our fellowship is going to be, if you will, some sanctification, which is separation, right? Sanctification means to be set aside or set apart for the use of. And that's what it talks about there on your paperwork about, about separation. The basis of our fellowship now is upon separation. And we, we talked about that certain persons were prohibited. They, remember if you had a broke arm, you ever had a broken arm or you ever had a broken nose or if you were bald, 
Brother Johnny Dixon was here, and I told him, I said, Brother, me and you, we couldn't make it. We couldn't, we could, brother, I'm sorry, Brother Roger, couldn't, couldn't go in, you know. If you had a flat nose, you couldn't do that. I'm looking around to see if there were flat noses in here. Nope. I don't see any, like a broken nose or something. But if you had any kind of blemish, all right? And so, I mean, because, because what is God, what, what, what is our, what is our heavenly father demand? Perfection, sis. That's exactly right. And just in that alone ought to be enough to show us that we don't measure up. But thank God, amen, there was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And everything that we aren't, He is. And then some. And He was able to do that, all right? And so, so now we come to this next one. So there's some, there's some rules for the land. And you know, if the world would follow these things, well, there, there, there would just be some simplicity to things. Some of these regulations that are here that are mentioned in, in Canaan. Something like the sabbatical year. Let, let's look at this first one, uh, here in, in chapter 25. And it says, it said, the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land, uh, keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. So, what, what did they, what were they supposed to do on the Sabbath in the Old Testament? They were to rest. They were to rest. I got that cowboy religion. I'm all tied up. All right. Uh, they were to rest. And so what is he saying here? They were to give that land uh, some rest. What happens, what happens when you let land, land rest agriculturally? I'll, I'll get that fixed. What happens? It does. You know, uh, when I was in Pennsylvania, when, when Doug and Christy were living up there, I had a chance to, and, and when I was on deputation too, I, I had a chance to go through there. And uh, one of the pastors, they kept, uh, he, he would gather up all his fallen leaves and we would put them in these huge tarps and fold them up and bind them up. And then he would take them to the Amish farmers. And the Amish there, they, they do that. They would have a plot of land that had a crop on it and right next to it, this was totally empty. It was fallowed, which means it didn't have a blade in it, didn't have anything in it. What we would do is we would dump. He would want us to dump and spread those dead leaves on that fallowed ground so they, so they would decay and help serve to fertilize or maybe help Break up that soil when it came time to cultivate it, but they, but they use that crop rotation principle that's found here in the Word of God that had to do with replenishing the soil, replenishing the land. And what did that mean that the owner of the land had to learn to do? That's exactly right. He had to learn to trust God. And uh, which shouldn't have been a problem for these Jewish believers. It shouldn't have been a problem, all right? So let's look at this. Notice what happens. The Lord spake, look, speaking of the children of Israel, uh, and you'll keep a Sabbath. Verse 3, six years shalt thou sow thy field, and six years shalt thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. When you prune crops, what does it do? This is This is the time of year. Do you all have crepe myrtles in... Washington? I mean, are they big, blue, big, like they form a tree? Get like bones? They're, you know what I'm talking about? That's what they call them, bones down here. When do you all prune those? 
A month with an R in it. So, okay. Because like here, they typically do it at the end of January, February. You prune them, and then what, what, so when you prune a tree, what does that do? It does what, brother? It stimulates it to put forth new growth, new shoots. You're cutting all that dead stuff off. All right. And so they were to prune the vineyard. They were to, they were to bring all that back and it was, it would ensure them a new crop, some new vines and shoots and so forth. So they would have grapes. Okay. But in the seventh year, look at verse four, but in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto, unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. So a whole year is going to go by. So what in the world, what in the world were they supposed to do? What were they supposed to do? That which, that with, now watch, that which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine, undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servant and for thy maid and for the hired servant and for the stranger that sojourneth with thee. So I'm the farmer, I own this land, I've planted my seeds and everything, and I, I've done what I'm supposed to do in that sixth year. The seventh year comes along, sis, and now I have to let that go and just let grow whatever grows here. It just grows naturally. And it doesn't belong to me solely as being mine. Now it's something that is to be shared with everybody else in the countryside. It's not mine alone. I can't say to my reapers, all right, let's get in here and get this stuff. No, no, no. It was for anybody and everybody in the land. Notice how he put that. Let's go back and look at that. That which, look at verse 5, That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine, undress, for it is a year of rest unto the land, and the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee, for thy servant, and for thy maid, for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beast that are in thy land, shall all the increase thereof be meat. It was something then that was shared. It wasn't a part of their regular crop. And so here they're having to learn to trust God, if you will, and they're all, they're also learning to, if you will, in some of this, to trust His providence and His provision that He's going to take care of them. Look with me. I want you to go to verse 21, same chapter. Look what happens. The Lord explains this a little further. If, if they would, if they were to do right, look, look and, uh, look at verse 18. Wherefore, ye shall do my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land in safety. In other words, do what I've asked you to do, and everything's going to be all right. Now watch. And the land shall yield her fruit, and ye shall eat your fill, and dwell therein in safety. And if you shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Notice what he does. Now look at verse 21. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for how many years? For three years. So what's he saying? If you'll do what I say over the course of these six years, in that sixth year, I'm going to give you a bumper crop. A crop that is actually going to be like three years worth it will produce. 
So there'll be no need to be stingy on that land when it rests. There'll be no need to say, bring the reapers in. I see, well, there's a lot of these over here. Don't let them folks have it. This is mine and so forth. God says, no, I want you to trust me. Now trust my provision. Trust the providence of God. And in those, in that sixth year, it would bring forth a bumper crop. What does that, does that remind you of something that you're going to learn about later on? Something is going to, you know, when the children of Israel, we get, it's hard to stay out of the book of Numbers. All right. But, uh, but in the book of Numbers, something's going to happen. You know, they're going to, you know, I mean, in between gripes. Well, not the Jubilee just yet. Ah, the manna, sister, the manna. And what does he say? Man, you go out there every day for six days. And what do you do on the sixth day? There'll be enough manna that you don't have to go out there on the seventh day, brother. You don't have to go out there. So that again, that's God's provision. And that part would keep. And you'd have enough for the Sabbath day on that seventh day. So the same principle is here. He just said in that sixth year, I'm just not going to give you a little bit extra. I'm going to give you three years extra. That is an abundance. That's a part of that abundant life that God has said he would supply. And, uh, you know, I, I saw something, Brother Farley... Or, Somebody else had commented on this, and Brother Farley made a comment about it. It was something about they were complaining about the gas prices, and uh, this was on a, this was on a, a work website called LinkedIn. I don't know if any of y'all know that or not, but anyway, but on that website, somebody was complaining about the gas prices, not having enough money, and uh, and he said, "I don't care." He said, "I don't care how high it gets." He said, "I tithe." Hashtag the Lord or something like that he put on there. You know, why? So he, he trusts God going to supply his need is what that is. And that's the same thing that these folks were having. They were practicing. This was, this was faith with shoes on is what this was. It wasn't just talking about having a relationship. It was relying on that relationship that they could trust the Lord. And the same thing is true for us today, beloved. And uh, because by the time you get to chapter 27, he's going to te- he's going to give some instruction about tithing, and uh, and so that's that it's just a test about trusting God, and so this is what was this is what was to happen here, and so so there's rest for the land, there's going to be rest for for some other things. Look at notice what it says. Look at verse eight. You, the laborers are going to rest, all right, and uh, and, and and the like. Look, look at verse 8. And thou shalt number the seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. And thou shalt cause the trumpet, that's the shofar, that's the Hebrew word for it, the shofar, sound the trumpet of the jubilee. To sound on the tenth day of the seventh, and jubilee is another word for trumpet. All right, that's what that is. The the jubil jubilee, and uh, to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement, shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land on that day of atonement on Yom Kippur, in that fiftieth year. All right, the beginning of that fiftieth year. That is that is the year of jubilee. All right, seven times 
7, 49, and then that 50th year, they were to sound that trumpet, all right? And, uh, and so, so the, I put here on the paper, the, one of the key words about honoring that Sabbath was rest, but in this jubilee and celebrations of this kind, it is about liberty and some things that were going to happen here, all right? And, uh, and so notice what it says, verse 10, and ye shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a jubilee unto you and ye shall return every man unto his possession and ye shall return every man unto his family. So what's happening here? What, what sister, what, what did you say? Slaves were set free. Yes, they were. All right. If you had, you know, if you if you if you borrowed or whatever, couldn't pay, you could become like an indentured servant. All right. But during this time, they they would be set free. But let, let, let's go back. Let's go back to this. Notice what happens. All right. That that every man shall return unto his own possession. When when uh, one of the things that that modern Israel current current days, modern day Israel, they believe that they are entitled to the land that they are currently, that they currently dwell. And, and probably more so. Alright, there's probably some that they don't have possession yet, solely, completely. But all that land of Palestine, that was given to them, uh, back in the book of Genesis. All that land, that's where the deed is. And God is emphasizing their legal right to possession in that some of them may have sold that land. You know, maybe this, maybe this particular brother or whatever, this particular Israelite was doing a little bit better than, let's say somebody in Issachar was doing a little bit better in Naphtali and he sold him some of his property and so forth. Well, God is trying to impress upon them here that I gave that land to you and your inhabitants for how long? Forever. Now they might have used it in, in different ways in between those times, but he wanted that land to go back to those original tribes. It was theirs and every man was to go back to his possession and those people had to yield it up. Why? Because it belonged, whatever, whatever Issachar got from Naphtali, that went back to Naphtali. Those people went back into their land and, and that those those deeds and so forth, all that stuff that they did, it was only, if you will, temporary. And it took care of a lot of those problems about the inheritances and so forth. And so, and, and, and so it is here. They, they, there was a return of this property. People were, were let free from these things. And it even had to do with, if you will, about lending of money for, you know, about debt and so forth. And so you could lend some money and the like, but you know, the, the, when you came to these years, then what would happen is it might be a little bit harder to get a loan because they knew maybe only they had one year left. Yeah, okay, yeah, in other words, debts were going to be dissolved. So the closer you got to that day when it's going to be dissolved, it might be a little bit harder for you to borrow money. Because the lender knows that that, um, you know, that debt's going to be gone. And, uh, and my ability to recuperate those things is going to be gone. So it was easier to borrow money at the beginning of those times than it was towards the end of the time. 
But those debts were dissolved and so forth, and all those things were done away with. All right? And so property, uh, notice, notice what, look, look at verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, and for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. When, when you think about it, even though you bought a piece of land, and I know the title's in your name, but the, but the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And basically, we're just renting it, <laughs> so to speak. All right? And in all the land of your possessions, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man, I'm in verse 26, and if the man have none to redeem it and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, and that he may return unto his possession. All right, and so so all these things, but look at verse 28, but if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of the what? Of the Jubilee, because in that 50th year, it's going to go back. You all with me? So in these, in these, in these six years, or, or these initial years, if you will, remember seven times seven years, 49 years, but in each one of those things, he could redeem it back over that time frame, but if they don't and they wait until the 50th year, that land is going to go back. Even though it was bought, it's going to go back. And that's why I said, the closer you get to that year, the less likely somebody wants to do business because of, because of the shortness of the time that they're going to actually have possession of that land because it's going to go back. All right, any questions about that? Any easy questions about that? Let me rephrase that. Anybody comment? Man, wouldn't that take care of the debt problem? In America? Uh, you know, I remember when I was, uh, when, um, again, in Pennsylvania, me hanging around the Amish and so forth, I talked with someone who had been Amish and then had gotten saved, and he has a ministry, and, uh, and it's called MAP, Ministry to Amish Peoples. And it's what he does. And I asked him about some things. And I told him, I said, I went to one of those farmer's markets and there are an estate sale and they were auctioning off stuff. And man, I wanted to get a, I wanted to get a big gumbo pot, brother, that they had some nice ones up there. They didn't cook gumbo in them, but I don't know what they did, but that's what I wanted to use it for. And so I started bidding. And man, there was a little old Amish lady over here. I would, and she had her eyes set on that. There was no point. And it uh, didn't matter what it was. She was intent on buying. I let her, you know, I mean, I, I quit after what I thought it wasn't worth it. And, uh, and I asked him about that, and he said, well, in their families, what they do, when, when their kids are little, those first seven years, they just play, they don't do anything. And then they start earning some money after seven years of age, and they go on, and then they, quote, sow their wild oats as teenagers, so to speak. But when they get married, they will have already saved, and their family have already put them to things together, that when they get married and they start, they're debt-free. Their land, their house, their pots and pans, all that stuff debt-free to be able to get a start. 
That's so different than it is in the rest of America. You know, uh, when Debbie and I got married, we had $500 in the bank and everything fit in a Volkswagen Beetle. I don't recommend that for couples today, all right? You say, well, man, $500 went a long way. Uh, not, a, not as long as you thought it would in 1972, all right? And so, um, but anyway, it's a different way of doing business. Because God was not for usury. And, and, and you go to Psalm 15 with me. Psalm 15. Of course, this is written years later, but the Lord hadn't changed His mind about these things over the years. Verse 1 asks the question, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And you get down there and he starts listing some things. And you get down here to verse 5. Notice what he says. He that putteth not out his money to usury. That's interest. Nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. All right? In other words, that the blessings of God will be on that person who has that liberality about their life. I mean, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. And, uh, and, so, and so too that principle is here. And, uh, and so they were to, they were to work out these, these things according to these regulations. And in doing so, there was a blessing that would be theirs. We talked about the land giving forth and so forth. And, uh, and uh, there, there's some other details about these things, about about the redemption of the land, and if you purchased a house and so forth, and and what of the Levites and the like, some things that you can that you can look at. But for the sake of time, let's go on to let's go on to chapter 26. You know, this is not a repeat or not not the uh, preface to the blessings and cursings of the book of Deuteronomy. But there are but there are some similarities. Notice what he said. Look look in verse one. Ye shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. All he's doing here is reinforcing what Moses was already given. Right? How to walk and worship God? Don't do this. It's a reminder to them. Don't do these things. The very first thing, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then it says, thou shalt not make any graven images. And so he knows that they're preparing to go into the land where these things were going to be. And the Lord hasn't changed his mind about these things. All right, in the day and hour in which we live. And so, you know, just for me, I don't know how, I don't know how practicing Catholics can do this or priests promote this or or if you will venerate these statues like how they do in some countries parading around and and you know uh, I've seen pictures where you know Jesus was in a white coffin an image of the Lord was in a coffin and they bear this around and people are to bow down and genuflect and make the sign of the do all these things when right here I mean if they would open the Bible and read what it says and so, uh, and you say, well, man, this is the 21st century. It doesn't matter. Religion is still going to uh, be, uh, what's the word, promulgated in the land. 
men are, mankind are religious by nature. They worship something. And a lot of times it's themselves, but they worship something here. But the Lord gives the prohibition to this and says, do not do this. All right, verse 2, if you shall keep my Sabbaths and reference my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then will I give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield her fruit. I'm in verse 5, and your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And uh, and ye shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I mean, here here they had now had to believe in the protection of God. It was they had to believe God had to trust God for His provision and in His providence how He was going to do things. And now His protection and all of this is all done by faith, and it's faith in action. It's not just faith at rest. It was to be in their daily lives of how they conducted themselves, how they carried out their business, and how they treated these, if you will, these regulations of being set apart. Because I guarantee you that the rest of the world that then was didn't practice these things. I mean, they would take advantage of every opportunity of every people. If you were weak, you were gone. If you were weak, Maybe you were a slave or whatever. And God didn't want them to do that way, didn't want them to treat the stranger in the land that way, didn't want them to treat each other that way. And they were to be different, a holy people. And this was something that they had to learn. I mean, because what, what did they learn in Egypt? Do you think there were givers, more givers than there were takers in Egypt? Or the other way around? The other way around. That's all the world they had known. And now they're coming out. They're not many. Listen, they are not many days. Really, they are not many days out from underneath the house of bondage. And now these things are being introduced to them. And now this is going to be an opportunity. And this is why God wants them to be different. All right? And so, when I say not many days, I'm not talking about a week. All right. I'm just saying that a a great length of time, we know that he was up there 40 days, a few months have gone by. All right. And, uh, and so, and yet he wanted them to be different. Because why? What's his purpose? His purpose in calling out Israel wasn't because they were the greatest or whatever, but he wanted them, he wanted to work through them that the world through them might know who God was, might know who Jehovah was. And they had this opportunity to do this, that their land, I mean, he already showed a difference. Remember when they went out from Egypt, there were some things that were different things, those, those, uh, the, the, the curses that happened and so forth there in, in Pharaoh's community and Pharaoh's family didn't happen in the, where the children of Israel were. There was a distinction between the two. And God did that to show them. And the Lord, it's going to do these things for them and through them to show the world that then was who he was. And, uh, and they had an opportunity to be used in that. And he was going to bless them for it. And notice how he puts it. Look at verse 13. Verse 12 says, And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. He's proving himself. He's going to keep his word and they could trust him. They could trust him. 
Look at verse 13. I am the Lord your God. Now watch, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. I mean, they were set, they were free. How many years were they down there in bondage? You recall? It's about 400 years. 400 years. That's 10 generations. What did your dad do for a living? Oh, he was a brick maker. What did grandpa do? Oh, he made bricks. What, what about great? Uh, sorry, son. He was a brick maker too. Well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Anything but a brick maker, you know. Hey, but that was that's what they did. They made bricks, right, out of mud and straw. We would call that adobe, right? That's what they did in, in New Mexico. It's adobe. That's mud and straw. Just a different soil there. One of you geology people can correct me on that, all right? But that's what but that's what they did. They made out, out of out, out of mortar and straw, and they made those things. That's what they're all, now. There were other craftsmen and so forth, but. But you had to have a lot of brick makers if you were going to make all those things. And so, so God had set them free. And, and for us, beloved, we are free. We are free. And we just have to learn how to use our freedom the way they had to learn how to use theirs. And, uh, and to be able to walk uprightly. Because... Uh, he is our God. He is our Father, which speaks of a deeper and better relationship than what they knew. All right? And then as you go on through verse 14, look at verse 14, but if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, if ye shall despise my statutes or your soul abhor my judgment so that ye will not do all my commandments but that ye break my covenant, I, will, I also will do this unto you. Man, I mean, he warns them here about some things. And, and, and you know, uh, it is that passage about beholding the goodness and severity of God. He wasn't playing with them. He had plans for them. And they just needed to yield themselves and submit. And the same thing is true of us. That's what he asks of us, is but to submit ourselves. Right? Did he not buy us with a price? He bought them with a price. And hence he has bought us with a price. And so um, so anyway, look these things up. And, uh, and if you want to start on it, man, get started on the book of Numbers, okay? And we, Lord willing, we'll address that next week. So let's pray. Anybody got anything? Brother Rod, do you have anything? You want? Right. Right. That is right. And and it's it's amazing how easily that in the in the human experience we are just bad about forgetting. We're just bad about it. And uh and so one of the things that the Holy Spirit's job is to be our remembrancer. And He lives inside. And so having that good relationship with Him is so important. 
to be our remembrancer and our guide. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God and thank you for your faithfulness, not only in the lives of, of, of those uh, citizens of the Old Testament, dear God, the saints of the Old Testament, and yet, Lord, how faithful you are to us today of the new. And I pray, Father, we'd never take it for granted and never take it lightly, Lord, the promises of God. And that the promise maker, the scripture says of you, Lord, that all the promises of God in him are yea and amen. And that you are true to your word. Help us, Father, to keep these things in mind and keep that God consciousness about us. We ask that you'll watch over us as we go to our homes and bless our services, Lord, on Sunday. You'll give Brother Roger exactly what we need for the hour. And I pray you'll bless his study now in Jesus' name. Amen.